You are listening to the Archery Maniacs Podcast. This is Remy Warren. I am Rihanna Carey. My name is Adam Foss. This is Paul Tetford, professional archer. Hey everyone, I'm Christy Titus, and you are listening to Archery Maniacs. We cover everything archery, from the hunting side to the tournament side, with stories, tips and tactics, gear reviews, and more. That helped my tuning game so much when I made sure that all my arrows were square. And I'm just staring into his eyes. Blood's dripping off of its tines. Mud is everywhere. The clarity these mavens offer is amazing. I'm just like Spider-Man, you know, on this rock. You know, just <laughs> laying there. Belly crawling in there and I can barely fit in there and I can hear the cat growling at me. So I put my hand on his shoulder and pushed him and we just ran at this elephant. In this episode, I have my buddy Flint back on the podcast. Flint, uh, for those of you that don't know, is a natural-born killer. Uh, He successfully harvests animals on public land every single year um, and and big freaking animals. So uh, in this episode, he and I cover elk hunting, you know, some of the do's, don'ts, tips, tactics, how to find new areas, some of the gear needed, and everything along those lines. Trying to get you guys geared up for elk season, which... In some states, has already opened. So I hope you enjoy the show. All right, this is Flint Wilhelm, and I'm your host Zach Harold. And you're listening to Archery Maniacs. Well, thanks, man. First off, for hopping on the show with me tonight. Um, you're one of obviously my good buddies, but you're also one of the hardest hunters I know as far as putting on miles and putting in time. Um, so. Uh, and, and for your age, you've shot a ton of great bulls, uh, so I thought it'd be awesome if you and I just hopped on and kind of discussed wilderness elk hunting. Thanks, Zach. I really appreciate that. And You know, uh, we're, we're young, but we hunt hard. Um, 25 years old, and uh, I have killed a few bulls, but um, once yeah, I got a few, eight, okay. Eight, what's that? A few, okay. Well, be <laughs> He's done good, it. everybody. He's done good. <laughs> but uh, as soon as I uh, made enough money to get my own equipment, uh, horses really took over my hunting career. So obviously there goes the wilderness. Um, I don't like hunting with a lot of people, so the more remote you are, the more successful you could be. Mm-hmm. And uh, my biggest thing, you know, you're not born knowing this stuff. So um, when I look at an elk area that I want to hunt, I look at how many tags are given out and your draw odds. Normally, the less tags given out, obviously, the harder the draw area. And the bigger chance of tags, too. Um Basically, they're saying there's less elk tags, there's less elk, but the potential for bee-bull is there. Also, the potential for having an entire drainage, thousands and thousands of acres of land. For yourself, is there, obviously, because you take a unit that's 20, 20 square miles and there's only 50 tags given out, that's pretty good uh, odds. So that's kind of what I look in. Um, there are those, uh, I don't know how you'd say it, you know, those uh, 
those once in a lifetime kind of type tag areas where mm-hmm. you're going to see a ton of elk and you're going to see a very big range of young to mature bulls, which is awesome. I like seeing a lot of animals. I mean, most people do, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, who doesn't? It kind of kind of pisses you off when you draw what you think is a great tag and you go out there and you see one elk. You're like, what the hell? Yep. <laughs> yep. And and one person's um, bad year could be the next person's great year. It's just finding that right area. And that's kind of where I kind of go in and, um, you know, I have a lot of local knowledge of the areas I hunt and um, winter ranges and summer ranges and when you're talking backcountry um it's point blank stuff you got animals you got archery equipment and you're trying to pack and for anyone that doesn't know bows and horses don't get along yeah so <laughs> especially crossbows they really don't get along but um <laughs> while we're on that topic one of the best ways i've found to pack a bow in the mountains is they make a bow scabbard. There's a few different companies that make them, but similar to a rifle scabbard, they're not the funnest to deal with, but if you're running and gunning in the mountains, you're mashing country and it's it's huge. I mean, for anyone that doesn't know, it's you can't really explain it until you experience it. Mm-hmm. And Zach, you can attest to this. It's not like Oh, I think we're going to take a little 100-yard walk over here. No. Yeah, you got no cover. Yeah, that that's kind of an understatement and and I'm glad you brought that up because we were like, yeah, I want to go elk hunting and I'm like, okay, that's cool. You have horses. No, you have access to horses. No. Are you prepared to walk 8 to 15 miles? What do you mean? I'm like, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> well, we're on it. Your elk hunt this year. Yeah, I've, I've been where you went, and I I know the distance. <laughs> so yeah, um, well, and and I and, and that that that's a good point to bring up because it's like, uh, but I I'm kind of I'm just like you are. I realize what it's going to take. And in eight days, I, I honestly, I know people that have walked more in eight days than I did, but in eight days, I walked, I don't know, around 50 miles or something. Yep. And which is, I, I'm definitely not discounting it. That is a long ways. Um, and it isn't, and while we're at this, this isn't a, a flat country walk. This is up <laughs> down um, your walk. You probably gained and lost. 2,000 foot elevation daily. Yeah. You know, I mean, maybe not at one point in time, but throughout the day. Yep. Yep, yep. I just, I actually just hopped on the escalator (laughs) (laughs) and took that son of a bitch to the top. (laughs) And they must have installed that last year, so. Yeah, you missed out on it. Yeah, but it's just, it's just, uh, yeah, and Flint, I don't know exactly how far you generally go in, um, but my, I do know. My, my typical elk hunt, I'm usually 12 miles in on horses. Exactly. That's kind of a base. 
Um, to where I like to hunt to get to that remoter section of land where you have people limited to horses or a hiker that's very, very dedicated and probably has access to horses to get an animal out. Yeah. You know, you anyone who's packed a bull, you, I mean, Zach, I know you have. I know I have. <laughs> it's not fun. It's the best part of the year. <laughs> an average, you know, mature bull hindquarter um, knocked off at the knee with skin, you know, with hide and bone in it. You're looking at 80 to 100 pounds, point blank. Yep. Um, You bone it out, you know, you third that. So regardless, without a couple of guys to help, one guy, it's going to take us, you know, at least two trips, and they're not going to be fun trips to get something out. No, no, it's it's not fun trips. Because <laughs> just like you, I have I have taken an elk out in two trips. Yeah. <laughs> and and it, you're definitely putting in work, and that's that's where you know that that's where you got into the horses and started taking horses, and you kind of have never looked back. <laughs> and I blame you. <laughs> no, if if I didn't love to hunt, I'm not gonna lie, I. Horses, you know, it throws in a whole different set of cards. It does. You got um, that much more responsibility. The the chances of severely hurting yourself are tripled. Um, but it's kind of one of those deals that, you know, that's what we love to do. It's, uh, I won't say it's a tool. I mean, it is a tool, but I love my animals. I want them for the world but yeah uh it's a different world you um when when you're going in that remote yeah i mean obviously you need to have a set of allen wrenches and i always a good thing to do is carry an extra rest an extra set of pins um with your bows all it takes is one one bad trick crossing or one down log or something and smash there goes your off of an animal and who knows what could break i know guys who have um completely ruined bows in the mountains you know it's just a it's a different world (laughs) so yeah it is and and it's very one thing that i noticed is it's it's very unforgiving (laughs) you know because it's like okay yeah i got my four horses in there or whether i don't have my four horses in there um, these elk live here year round. Yep. And that 2,000 feet in elevation that I got to climb today doesn't seem like 2,000 feet in elevation to an elk. <laughs> you don't have to have horses to screw stuff up. You know, backcountry elk, I mean, here in Wyoming, we got pressure from wolves and bears and, and hunters. Yep. A lot of, a lot of predation going on. And those elk aren't completely stupid. They, they're going to live in those high basins where they can see. Um, could be real thick, nasty timber. Um, mountains, especially in Wyoming, steep, rocky terrain. Um, you lose your footing, you slide down a hill. Horse loses a footing, it goes down the hill. Um, there's just so many variables. 
throw a little bit of weather in there, and it gets pretty dicey, but that's that's the game we play, so. Yeah, okay, that's exactly the game we play, and, we, and hmm. kind of the price you play to pay to play, you yep. know what I mean? Yep. Uh, if you, and this goes for really any elk hunt, I, I mean, there's a few areas in Wyoming and uh that, you know, like some of the desert hunts that may be slightly excluded. Um, but Very most excluded, places, but... you know, most places that you're going to end up going elk hunting, um, there's just there's just a ton that goes into it from preparation all the way to the end and the final pack out. Um, there's a ton that goes into it. <laughs> and one thing about that, too, is I guarantee you, whether you're successful in uh, or successful in harvesting an animal or not, you're going to see some awesome country because there's nothing uh, more rugged for sure. So, yeah. So now the other cool thing about it is some areas you can link up with a deer. Or, you know, if you're lucky enough, you know, an out of state or to draw or a resident, if you you know, if it's a general area or you draw the tag. So you can also kind of pick an area based on doubling up a hunt if you wanted to, but kind of like your hunt this year. Yep. So. Yep. Now, uh, so let's say you put in for your tag, you know, you picked one that uh, you don't think a ton of people are going to be there. because that's why I hunt remotely, and I know that's a big reason because I don't – I know that if I hit the path and I walk in there 8 to 15 miles, the chances of other people walking in that far are very, very slim to none. Yep, and especially, you know, without access to horses, you're if you're that dedicated, your only competition is going to be, you know, horseback or – one other thing about wilderness hunts is there are outfitters. Um, one thing, I'm not saying it's not doable, but um, with outfitters, uh, you know, obviously they're making money on this, so they're running hunters. Um, you can look it up online, um, figure out where designated outfitter camps are. Um, you can kind of avoid that and, uh, you avoid a lot of extra pressure. So with, with, you know, if they're running two hunters in there, that's, that's a lot of country they could cover. You got three times the competition for the same. Whatever Especially you might be if they're running their two hunters with horses and you're on foot. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So. Not, like I said, I mean, it's big country, and there's plenty of room for everyone, but the less people, the more options you have, so. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely, and, and chances are, and not always, but chances are the people that are all the way back in there with you are looking for the same caliber of animal that you're looking for. Yep. So, if... You're back in there with the outfitters, and those people paid $10,000 to shoot an elk. Chances are they don't want spike. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, so here you are. You guarantee you I guarantee you, you don't want to pack a spike for 15 miles. <laughs> so. Well, I mean, you literally just screw yourself if you go all the way back in there without looking for the outfitters camp and without knowing it, camp within a half mile of an outfitters camp because you just decrease your odds because the outfitters probably scouted that area more than you have. He's probably been to that area more than you have. And he knows where the elk are better than you do. Chances are, um, unless it's something in your home state that you've been to multiple times. Um, so just by not looking to see what other, you know, like outfitter camps are in the area, you you may have just walked 15 miles in there and just, <laughs> just to watch somebody else shoot your elk. <laughs> yep, that's very true. Okay, and cool. I, Go ahead. Not saying that just because there's an outfitter in there, they might not be running hunters, and if they are, it's such big country. I mean, if you, if you get a good area with a, a decent uh, population of elk, there's plenty to go around, and each year is different, too. I mean, weather conditions, everything, you know. Um, for example, you know, a couple of years ago I had a tag, and uh, you you go one night and you, you know, sitting behind your glass, find, you know, maybe a good bull that you want to hunt. Okay. Next morning, you, you're up before dark, you got your horses saddled, and you're down the trail. And it's breaking daylight, and you're on the ridge you think you need to be, and you're looking and looking and listening, and pretty quick, you know, it's light enough to get some good glass on, and here's that same bull a mile and a half over on a different ridge. And you're like, what What possessed him to do that? Well, here, like I going back to bears and wolves. <laughs> well, here's some wolf tracks right here, and that's just the game you play. They come through, they, you know, whether, whether or not they went after those elk. Those elk aren't stupid. They've been chased enough by predators. You know, they're survival animal, so yeah, they're going to move. So that's another thing, um, which brings me to a better point. If you have a chance, I don't care how slim a chance, unless you know deep down inside in your gut those animals are going to be there the next morning, if you have a chance to go after them, you better go after them. Yes. Whether you're going to spend the night with them in the sticks or not, if you want that animal and you think you have a chance, you better do it right then and there. Because there's so many variables, and they're all out of your control. Yep. That, that's my biggest success in the mountains is I don't wait for something to happen. I don't wait to, if I think I have a chance, I'm going. If I want to kill an animal, you know, say I look at a bull, say, yep, he's got what it takes. And I think I can get to him without, you know, with with the marginal chance of killing him. And many a time you've done it and got busted or 
ran out of light or whatever, you learn from it. But you you got to try. You got to you got to play the game to win, basically. Yeah, well, and and that that's a really good point right there that you just made because <laughs> if if you're playing more in the defensive side, okay, I found these elk. I'm gonna see where they bed, and then I am going to go try and hunt these elk tomorrow. Um, nine times out of ten, that will bite you square in the ass. <laughs> and you gotta realize, especially in archery tag, what's on their minds: breeding cows. Yep. It. I mean. If that cow decides to go feed over here, where the where the where's your bull gonna go? Right with them cows, and you know you just never know. You can't bank on something spending there. I mean, yep. in your mind you think, man, they got food, they got water, they got everything they need. Nobody else is in here. How do you know that? There could be somebody camped down in the you know the next ridge over or whatever. Yeah, looking at the same animal. Yeah, and you know, say something, something happens. You know, the wind's going to them or whatever. They get nervous. A pack of wolves come through. A bear comes through. Who knows? If you got a chance, you got to go for it. So it's uh, you kind of got to make things happen. And sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, and well, and, and that's a good point. Or, I like the I like what you said about make things happen because. I guarantee you, if you see the animals and you think you can at least get over there, I mean, it's one thing. If it's if it's 6 o'clock at night, it gets dark at 7.30, and those animals are three miles away, and you're on foot, yep, that, might, that might be a little bit different. But yeah. if you look over and you're like, I honestly 100% believe I can make it to that animal and still have plenty of shooting light, then then you need to go. Because yep. once you get over there, then you can decide, okay, can I get, you know, is the wind right? Is this right? Is that right? Yada, yada, yada. Then you can adjust your stock as you get closer. But when you're two miles away, your first decision needs to be, can I get there and have enough light to kill this animal? Yep. And if it's a yes, then what in the hell are you still doing standing there? <laughs> yep. And uh, I've been both ways there. You know, I've I've banked on that animal being there the next day, like I said, and you go and you're ready, and wow, that animal moved a mile overnight, which sounds like a lot, but in the mountains, it looks like there, but uh, it's a long ways away. <laughs> yeah, well, a mile of sight or two miles of sight is completely different when you're walking up and down and up and down and around and over and up and down and through and... <laughs> old Wyoming saying as the crow flies it's right there but uh, to get to it you gotta go five miles out of your way to get to it so <laughs> that's but, so uh, true um, sorry folks that was a little uh, inside joke but uh, <laughs> if you've experienced it you know what we're talking about so yep yep um all right, so now 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 you've drawn the tag that you wanted. Um yep. now what? You know, obviously 
Um, I'll tell you what I do, but I want to know what kind of your first steps are. Uh, you know, a really go good, a really good overlooked resource is the local biologist and game and fish biologist. You can call them, you can talk to them, say, you know, where are their winter ranges, where are their summer ranges, you know, from your experience, where have you seen most of the elk or where have you not seen most or, you know, harvest rate. You can look at all of that. Also, Google Maps if you're completely blind to an area. Awesome. I look for, um, especially backcountry elk, they're usually not going to be low. They're going to be high. Um, just two years ago, I killed a bull at 11,000 feet, completely above timberline. You just never know. You experienced it this year on your elk hunt. I know um, crazy, but what you look for is feed, cover, and water. What it takes to live. That bull isn't thinking about food and water and cover. He's thinking about chasing tail. But yep. what's that cow thinking about? Food, water, and cover. So mm-hmm. um, um, you look at an area, um, Google Maps, you can, and it's, it's deceiving because it's rough country. Um, from what I've seen, elk, this some of the steepest, nastiest stuff you can imagine, and they're perfectly content there. <laughs> Biggest thing is, um, if you have the time to do it, a uh, scouting trip is worth its weight in gold. Yep, getting boots on the ground. Yep, go in if you can. You know, do your research on maps and Google Earth and talk to some people that have been there if you can. If not, like I said, the biologists, it's their job. They'll talk to you. Um, get an idea of where their typical range is and then get on the map. I look for big drainages with a lot of options. Yep. When I say big drainages, I don't mean a one little piddly trick that goes up and ends in the cliff. <laughs> I look for Drainages that go for, <laughs> well, yeah, look for real yeah. shit. <laughs> but you look for country that gets you off the beaten path, and it's big. The more country you have, the more potential it has. Yeah. Not saying there's going to be an elk around every tree. That isn't the case. But if you get big drainages with a lot of options. You go in, yeah, you might hit four of those fingers and nothing, nothing, nothing on the fifth finger. Boom, rut fest. And that's kind of what I look for. you got to have good feed, some cover. And when, I'm just going to throw this out there, elk don't necessarily need cover. I've seen them live with not a tree within two miles. It can be done in certain areas, but most areas, Especially, you know, in archery hunt in September, it's hot. They the sun is hot. Everything they got to have water, and they're going to want shade. So you look at that, or they're going to be in an elevation to where it stays cool enough that they can do without. So there you go. You're either 
sky high within sheep country, or you got good thick timber, you got good water source, and you got good. Yeah, it's it's funny that you say that because uh, you you know that I got my my elk miss this year on film. Oh yeah. Uh, and what's one of the things that you noticed about where I was while I was chasing those elk? Well, based off of the bighorn sheep in the background, oh. Uh, <laughs> folks, there was not a tree in sight. And there was snow on the ground. Yep. You know, there was there was snow. I, I watched this bull go over to a snowbank and rake a snowbank with his horns, with his antlers. And like you said, not a tree in sight. There was boulder mounds. And I have and, a similar tale. It wasn't as high, but um, me and a buddy were approaching an elk this year hunting, and uh, this is a fail. But we're getting in. We get within about 300 yards with him, and he's screaming his head off. And you see the weather just coming down this drainage. And we're trying to cover some country, but it's burnt, and burnt timber doesn't provide a lot of spot and stock cover. And he wasn't going to leave his cows, so we're trying to move in, and all of a sudden, you can't see 100 yards. It's solid a storm. And I'm still screwing with him with the cow call, you know, throwing out Esther's cow calls. And he's just screaming his head off, just pacing back and forth in the snowstorm. So is it typical? No, but very fun. <laughs> but it, it's not always uh, 70 degrees and sunny when you're hunting elk, so. No, no, uh, yeah, no kidding. I woke up that one morning two days before and it was. 70 degrees, 60 degrees, woke up, what do you know, six inches of snow. <laughs> and that's the game you play. And when I killed my bull, it was a solid six to eight inches of snow on the ground. And, um, you know, we were up around, we weren't real high, probably 9,000 foot elevation. But um, nonetheless, it was, it's just and. While we're on that topic with weather, that's another thing with wilderness hunts. Better to need it or have it and not need it than need it and not have it. Got to keep that in mind. A good set of uh, waterproof type clothing, whether it's snow or rain, it's all moisture. Um, there's nothing more miserable than uh, being wet and cold and you're in there not like you can run down to the hotel. <laughs> it's, uh... <laughs> you sure like to, though, at some point. <laughs> oh, I've spent a few nights where uh, I questioned what I was doing and why I was there, but... <laughs> <laughs> Who hasn't, man? <laughs> I think I've probably spent more of those nights than any one person should, but... <laughs> That's the... Like you say, the price to play the game, you, and you, it's, you're not born knowing this shit. You just, um, just preparation. <laughs> you got to have good quality equipment. I'm not saying it has to be the most expensive or the brand name. It's got to work. Yeah. There's and nothing I'm, any more frustrating 
than getting something and getting all the way in there, and it doesn't work. Um, doesn't that just piss you off? Well, we've all done it. And it, and sometimes it's brand name shit that fails you. And you just learn this over time. And okay, well, this shit ain't ain't any good. It, it wears out in two steps. And that yeah. stuff, it works for a while. But if you get a good rainstorm, you're soaked. Um, that's boots. You gotta have a good pair of boots. Point blank. Yep. <laughs> when you're picking them up and putting them down. Um, you this year, whether not that they were bad boots, but I know you come back with hellacious blisters. And yeah. It, it's, it takes a little bit of the fun out. You still did it, but in the future, are you going to buy them same boots again? Uh, no. <laughs> there you go. Take your failures and learn from them. But, yeah, that's no shit. You know, it's it's like I said, it's not cut and dry. There's there's not a clean line where this works and this doesn't. Do your research. Yeah. Look, you don't learn from other people's failures. Um, just throwing this out there. I'm running a set of Mendels, and so far I've had them about a year and seem to be holding up. They're Fairly comfortable boot. Um, pretty hard sold, but uh, from what I can tell, they're a decent boot. I know Kentrex makes good boot. Um, I think Zamberlin come in. I I don't have any personal experience, but supposedly they're supposed to be a good boot. I don't know. What were you running this year? Um, I ran actually a few different boots. Um, I was running for my stiff sole boots. I was running a pair of Loa Tycams. Um, and they are, they're like two years old and I've literally never got blisters from these boots. And for whatever reason on that trip, I got blisters. So it's, it was really weird to me. And that that, could have been also throwing the conditions there where your feet wet. Uh, yeah, they, they did start to get wet and, and, and yeah, they were wet, but I mean, I was changing into dry socks every night. Um, but still they, they were wet because as you know, it snowed six inches and then it rained the entire day before. Um, it was just, it was great. I, I was very, very thankful for my rain suit though. Like he was just talking. And another thing that, that is, that will, is worth its weight in gold is a set of gaiters. Oh. And and for those of you that don't know what gators are, gators are basically, in in a sense, for lack of better terms, it, it's almost like a tarp, but it's a waterproof material that basically goes from right at the the uh, roof of your foot or the arch of your foot all the way up to about your knee, and it keeps water and snow and everything from going in your boots. It keeps your pant legs dry and, and clean and not all muddy, and they are they're like heaven. <laughs> Basically, gators have their own religion and they are God. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly what he just said. Um, they're just they're. I don't go anywhere without my gators, even if it's not going to get cold. If I think there's a possibility of it raining, I bring my gators. 
Um, they're just, they are probably one of the most valuable assets as far as my gear go um, that that I have. I don't know. I heard some good things about Under Armour come out with a set of gaiters. They're pretty good. They're zip style. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a good buddy that guides, and he's running them. This is his first year, but so far from what I've talked to him this season, they're a good gator. Um, I've been running Canatrex, and they're a good gator. They keep pretty dry, and they're not going to keep you 100% dry, but just imagine if you didn't have them. You'd exactly. be clear up to your knee. It'd be going down your wool socks, leaching into your boot, and it just it's just another layer in the yep. layering system. It, yep. it, it's that much more distance between, and also abrasion resistance. What's a set of gators cost? Anywhere from, I mean, clear down to 30 bucks. They can run up there in 100 and something, maybe 200 bucks, depending. You don't have to have the best thing out. I just bought another set this year. I go through about a set every year just purely from, um, Oh, well. It's because he walks his ass off. When he when it shed season, he walks his ass off. That's why. Uh, He's just trying to be modest. I've seen the son of a bitch walk before, and he walks. So that that's why he wears them out. <laughs> well, and it isn't just that. I mean, day-to-day use. That'd be one thing, but a guy that goes from hunting season that starts September and runs through November... Me, I'm a fanatical ice fisherman. Got to have them ice fishing. So I run them all winter, and then come January, February, boom, I'm right in the shed season clear through June. Whether there's snow or not, I'm wearing them just purely because it's a habit, and it's that extra bit of layer. It keeps a little wear and tear off of my boot, um, everything. So basically three-quarters of the year, I'm wearing them. Yep. You're going to, nothing's bulletproof. Even diamonds are destructible. That's just a price to play the game, once again. But having that gear is worth it. I run a set of camo tracks. I don't screw around with camo or this or that. I just black set of camo tracks. I just bought a set a couple weeks ago. Same thing. About every hunting season, I buy a new set. 60 bucks. 60 bucks a year to save your boots an extra year. I'm really hard on boots, too. I haven't found a pair of boots that'll last me more than two years if I'm careful with them. But <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm the same way. These these lows are supposed to be great, and I'm on year two, and the toes are busted out, and they haven't been waterproof since, like, month two. <laughs> Speaking of waterproofing, this is just a little blurb in here. Snow seal is a great thing. Oh, there we go. Snow seal. <laughs> a great thing. Very, very good deal. Um, I ran mink oil for a while on leather boots, and it's all right, but snow seal is way better, point blank. So, and it's not a one-time deal. You basically every trip I redo it. And, Eat your boot up in in the oven a little bit, you know, where you can still handle it. You don't want to obviously fry the thing, but um, a leather boot, (laughs) no way to go. 
Yeah. If you want, Dave. And I was just going to add something to the, when we were talking about, you know, when you first find out you draw your tag. Um, I feel like we're supposed to be talking about elk and we keep getting off the subject of what you should have to hunt elk, but. (laughs) Hey, that's all right. All this shit is important for the elk hunter. So, um, basically where I was going with it is (laughs) back to the, I'm not to interrupt you or anything there, but (laughs) back to, you know, being prepared. It, it's so much better when you're comfortable. Oh yeah. That little, that little bit of extra time and research to have what you need. I mean, sometimes you try your it, shit it before honestly, you go. Yeah, it 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 honestly could be the difference between life and death when you're talking wilderness. Yeah. If they didn't like load the truck up and drive over there and got and walk over to your tree stand. <laughs> it, it it isn't like that. It's it's, you you need to have good good stuff too. Yep, and and obviously nothing against tree stand hunting. We do the we tree stand hunt as well. Yeah, um, I'm a but there's just a, fanatic, but yeah, there's just a huge huge difference. And what I was meaning when I say try your shit before you go is if you're bringing any kind of stove, any kind of GPS, any kind of flashlight, any kind of anything that cannot work potentially, try it. Hook the fuel to the stove, light it, make sure it works, make sure it runs, make sure that it's supposed to do what it's supposed to do. Because if you get all the way up there and Brother. all you have to eat is mountain houses and your flipping stove doesn't work, I did really well not saying the F word right there, and your flipping stove doesn't work, you're going to be up shit creek. <laughs> yep. I don't know if one exists, but I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, another thing... Um, what are you saying about that? Mountain houses are great, by the way. Um, big fan of the beef stroganoff, but well, I like um, being able to have something warm, especially yeah. especially when it when I wake up and there's snow out, having some sort of hot, whether it's hot tea, hot coffee, hot apple cider in the morning with with oatmeal or something, and then having some type of mountain house at the end of the day when you've been working hard all day. And, and great you're sweaty, stuff. and you're cold, and you re-energize and heat back up. It's it's great. Yep, they're lightweight. You know, it's all free. There's no cleanup. No cleanup. Don't mention that. Don't forget to mention that. No cleanup. Yep, a couple ounces. You know, they they're self. All you gotta have is water. But back yep. to the water deal. Uh, <laughs> well, water is heavy. Anything. I don't care. Liquid. Period. Is heavy. Yep. Good water filtration system. Yes. Ideal. Mountain streams, uh, there's a few out there. <laughs> you got to be careful. You don't want to end up with Giardia, but there's been definitely more than uh, a dozen times I've uh, just, you find a spring coming out of the ground, it's clean, it's coming out of the rock. I've drank right out of it, straight out of the stream. It's awesome, great. Better than bottled water. But most most times you're camping low and hunting high. Am I pretty spot on there? Um, there's a lot of contaminants between you and that water source. So if you don't want to have to pack in, say you're packing in for a week, especially on on foot. Horses, 
Yeah. I still don't really pack that much water. I either boil it or use filtration system. And I use iodine pills. And things, whether it's a filtration straw, pills, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, those jet jet boils are great. You can boil water in two seconds. Yeah, they, it's crazy how fast them suckers boil water. Oh, yeah. It blows me away. But you look at that, um, definitely something to look in, especially if you're going to go on a wilderness hunt. It's, yep. I mean, that's right up there with your binoculars. You better have them. <laughs> Yeah, and well, that's actually, that's a good point right there. That would be an excellent thing to ask somebody that knows the area or the game biologist. Hey, is there a lot of water sources? Tell them what time you're going to be hunting. Is there a lot of water sources that will be available for me to use filtration um, September 21st to September 28th? If they say yes, then awesome. Look on the map, find the water, and you know you don't have to pack in all your water. If they say no, well, then you had better have more water than you would usually carry. <laughs> yep. And especially archery hunt, it's most likely it's going to be warm. You're going to be hiking. You need a lot of liquid. You, you got to keep your hydration levels up. Point yeah, because as soon as you fall below and start getting dehydrated and undernourished, you're no longer hunting to your potential, and that's the, that defeats the whole purpose of even being there. <laughs> yep. Goes um, from. A fun hunting experience to a survival experience. <laughs> really quick, and then you're like, it's really blows. I don't want to come back. <laughs> yep. So, other thing, before I forget, um, while you're talking about gear and what's have, make sure your GPS, everything works. In wilderness, don't trust your GPS. Uh, to an extent, but just because it says there's a trail there, I know from experience, there ain't no trail there. You'll, you'll get in the in a bind. Um, yeah. You got to, um, I don't know, play it as it comes type deal. If if you look at something and it's steep and nasty and down timber is the worst. Especially with horses. If, if you're questioning it and you don't know and you don't say it's getting late in the day, don't do it. Because I don't know how many times I've been in a shithole and it's pitch black. And I spent the night there because yeah, basically you're either going to hurt yourself, you're going to hurt an animal. It's it just, if, if there's any doubt in your mind on how mean or how nasty that is, um, don't, don't go in blind, I should say. Yeah. I have a, had a buddy that, you know, didn't know an area and went in on horses, and the GPS showed a trail going in there. So what do they do? They hop on some wannabe game trail, and they they ended up spending the night. They had search and rescue called on them, obviously, because their wives were worried. But um, that's how fast it changes, just like that. Just one bad decision, and... It, it can change just like that, but but that's just kind of a whole, just one little tip from me. Just because the GPS says it doesn't mean it's true. You yeah. can't buy solely on uh, on equipment. Yep. You need to 
trust your instincts and uh and I mean some people just have a knack for reading country and then I've seen people that could get lost in a parking lot. <laughs> you know, if you're not good with direction, don't do it. Yeah. You know, and just because that GPS says, that might not necessarily be true. But, <clears throat> you know, if you're on a main trail, um, forest service maps are great. If it's on that map, it's there. It might not necessarily be great each year changes. You get avalanches, you get big washouts, you get down timber. Um, another thing really good to carry in the backcountry, you got to have a decent saw. There's several of them out, but um, I run a, you know, a collapsible, um, they're Wyoming saws, but um got to have a saw because you just never know when that tree's in your way so <laughs> yeah yeah or or you never know when you're going to shoot an elk and they're going to lodge themselves between two trees or or yep. you know there's all kinds of scenarios um, Couple. one thing i wanted to touch on though <clears throat> was when we were talking about calling the game biologist and talking about asking people that might know the area I will never, ever, 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 if I didn't know Flint, and I know that Flint knows the area, I will never, ever walk up to Flint and say, hey, can you show me where to go? Yeah. Because that, uh, people don't mind helping other people, but anyone out there that has earned a good spot in the backcountry realizes how hard it is, and the last thing they're going to be kind to is somebody coming up that they don't even know and saying, hey, tell me where to go. So yep. if you don't know someone in the area, ask them, you know, what kind of things should I look for? Um, do you have, you know, do you have any any areas you recommend? Don't, definitely do not go up to them and say, can you show me where to go, please? Here's my map. Yeah. <laughs> I, I promise you it will not turn out good. <laughs> yep, and me and Zach talked about this a little bit before we started our little conversation. It's one of them deals that, you know, we, you know, being in an area, like I said, you're not born knowing this stuff. Um, odd chance that you're born into a family that hunts hard and knows a lot of country. Yeah, you're going to have a pretty easy street. Me, yeah. Zach. No, we go out and that's what we like to do and we learn it for ourselves. And don't ever underestimate yourself and uh putting the time in. Time is very valuable and retaining information is very valuable. Well and that just goes down to just like we were saying, the most important thing you can do when you get to a new area, especially as an out of stater, is if at all possible Go and scout. Yep. Like that comes down to putting in the time. I mean, Worth obviously there's not. Yeah, obviously you're not always going to get to do that. This year, for me, for instance, I had a Colorado elk tag. I did not get to go scout before I went hunting. Just didn't work. I just didn't have enough time. I had too many other hunts lined out, and I just couldn't make it work. But if you can, as at all possible, it will 
it will like literally it'll pay it'll pay off so much it's not even funny. <laughs> yep. Just knowing the lay of the land. Oh yeah. You necessarily need to see the animal. Just seeing the land, seeing you know, okay, there's a good meadow here with a trick, heavy timber here. Okay, that's that's a good spot to focus on. And over here we got a real good transition, you know, from high country to timber and just just knowing kinda getting a starting point if it's, Yep. You know. And uh you go in and you see a lot of animals, awesome. Don't bank on them being there though. Yeah. Go in three weeks ahead of time and three weeks is a long time. Overnight is a long time sometimes, you know? Yeah. No kidding. But getting a general feel of an area, whether you see the animals or not. Well, and that's like... If you go in early, you know, a week or two before your season and you don't see any tracks, you don't see any sign, you don't... You probably don't go there. But, (laughs) you know, it's still knowledge. You know, okay, that's a dead sea. Move on. Next drainage. Yep. And folks, to kill an animal, there's got to be animals to kill. Yeah. Don't waste your time just because it looks perfect. You got to have animals to kill him. And scouting could be learning where to go or the opposite, where not to go. Yep. And you got to, the elk hunting in general, whether you're backcountry or or not, it's there's highs and lows. You'll get so frustrated and think, what the hell am I doing? And you walk one more mile, and it's like, oh, my God, this is the most phenomenal hunt I've ever seen. It's putting the time in, covering the country, and making it happen. Yeah, that's that's. That's so true. And um, so another thing that I do, uh, you know, after I call the game biologist and they start giving me these areas, because let's be honest, they're going to say, check out this drainage. And they're going to look on the map and the drainage is going to be gigantic. And you're going to be like, well, great. Thanks for the help. That really narrows it down. Yeah. Um, then you're going to go on Google Earth. And once you get on Google Earth, you're going to start looking for north-facing slopes because your north-facing slopes are generally going to be where the elk bed, okay? So your north-facing slopes or basins above the north-facing slopes, above tree line. Yep. You're going to be looking for those, and at the end of your north-facing slope, you're going to be looking for water and some type of feed. People that don't understand the north and south-facing slopes, north purely because obviously normally, you know, September, you're summer solstice is over, your sun's going to be headed towards the south again, so your shade is going to be on the north. Just yes. Just put it out there. Yep, exactly. So that just is going to allow you to look on Google Earth and find spots within the drainage that was selected that have a higher probability through research, have a higher probability of holding the elk. Then when it's time to go scout or actually go hunt, 
you can say, okay, here's my top five drainages in my top two basins. This is where I'm starting. Let's go hunt. Rather than looking at the drainage they they said and just going, okay, cool. Here's this giant ass drainage, and I'm going to start at the bottom and I'm going to hunt my way to the top. Like, yeah. <laughs> that shit doesn't work. <laughs> well, some of these drainages are big enough that you could spend 10 years worth of hunting and still not know every bit of it. Yeah. I mean, Isn't that the truth? expanses of mountains, it's, it's awe-inspiring, basically. It, I mean, there's our little meager existence, it seems endless. And uh, that's where your research really, really comes in. Knowing, okay, they got food and water and cover here. And food and water and cover here. Back to the same thing. If, if they aren't there, they aren't there. Move on. Don't, just because you, it, just because it looks perfect, don't, if, if, there aren't, if they aren't there, don't waste your time there. Move on. Yep, that's so true. And and the saying the elk are where the elk are is huge. That saying is so true that it's it's kind of <laughs> it's, it's kind of like a I don't know what you'd call it, but it's almost like an oxymoron. Because here we are, we're telling you to do all this research and and be like Houdini and all this other shit. And now we're just going to tell you the elk are where the elk are, and that just really screwed with your head is what it did. <laughs> but yeah, you can do all the research, and like I said, man, this place is perfect. There's got to be an elk in here. They're not there. They're not there. And I'm not saying everywhere, but in Wyoming, our elk population has plummeted over the last 20 years, but... And a lot of that is just due to the introduction of new predators and more predators. But um, it's one of them deals. It's There's your highs and your lows. and More times than not, there's going to be a low in there, but it seems like you never forget those, but you also <laughs> never forget your highs. I mean, when you're in it, it's the most phenomenal thing there is. Oh, when you man, isn't in, that the truth? When you put the time in and you struggle and you struggle and you finally you finally put it together, there's there's the elk. They're bugling. They're responsive. They're, it's worth it, but it takes time. It's, it doesn't, doesn't happen overnight most nope. of the time. You might get lucky here and there, and yeah, you might get spoiled, and the first spot you go, there's elk everywhere. It's not going to be like that every time. Don't expect no. it to be easy, basically, because it's not. It's rough, rugged country. They've been pressured in the rough, rugged areas. Put your big boy pants on and go earn it. Yep. So oh, cool, man. So last thing that I want to touch on is glassing for elk. <clears throat> um, I know it may kind of sound simple to us because we're used to doing it. Um, but for the people that have never gone out and glassed for elk, um, what kind of tips and tactics would you have for the new person learning how to glass and find elk? That's a very good point, Zach. 
And as as simple as it sounds, it's an overwhelming task. Yeah, because you're this, and this is this is even me, and I've I've been elk hunting. I I know exactly what you're gonna say before you say it. My dad took me elk hunting when I was two years old, so I've been elk hunting for a while. And your first thought is, son of a bitch, them things are big. I guarantee you I'm going to find them all. <laughs> and it isn't like that. And for me, my first thought is, oh, my God, look at all this open country. Because you can see for 20 miles. <laughs> my biggest thing is start close and work out. Exactly. Extremely good point. And I, I don't know how many times I've been like, wow, look at that ridge over there. They got to be there. And you glass and glass for five minutes. And you're like, well, shit, there wasn't no elk there. And you look down 100 yards and there's an elk looking at you. God damn it. But uh, it's just kind of one of them deals that I just, and this is anything in general when I go out. You know, I kind of scan real thoroughly just with my eyes without glassing. You come over a ridge. Look look real close, up close. You know, scan around. If something catches your eye, yeah, put your glass up. But just take a good scan of what you got going on. Then from there, what I look for, obviously, I start close and work out unless I see something that catches my eye. So from there... You're going to want to, you know, obviously, you got to be able to see the sea, which sounds stupid, but you can glass pine cones and pine cones for days, and you're not going to see any. <laughs> look for the park, look for the open ridges, look where they're going to feed, where they're going to water, and start close and go slow. What I do, it's easy to just scan, and like you say, they're a big animal. But at 400 yards, looking through your binoculars, they they can blend in very well. Yeah. And just yeah. go slow. What I do is I kind of take a freeze frame. I get a good, you get your, your view and your binoculars or your spot and scope. And just stop. Scan your eyes around. You know, pick every little bit of your view. And then move. Pick every little bit of your view and then move. It's key to glassing. Yep. Look for, and it isn't just like, oh, elk, you know, they got the rump patch and bulls have, you know, the they're lighter colored and they're, you know, they stand out. No. Look for shapes. Look for color. It's, it's not one thing you're looking for. And the biggest thing that screws with a person is you have, an image stuck in your head of what you think you're going to see. More times than not, it's not like, holy, no way. That's, that's ears, you know. Look for this. Look for the shape more so than the colors. And for me with colors, well, I'm partially colorblind, so I kind of throw colors out the window because who knows what I'm seeing. But, uh... <laughs> Shapes, shapes don't lie. Humans are very smart. You, you know the shapes, and the more the other thing with glass on, you're not going to be perfect right off the bat. Like I said, you're not born knowing this stuff. You got to experience to an extent. Um, 
remember every time you glass something, you know, like, oh, remember how hard that cow was to see or, you know, I barely found this one. Go slow, be meticulous, take your time. If if you're going to see it, you're going to see it. I get in a rush sometimes because I, I always think, well, if something's in this opening and I don't see it right away, you know, I'm going to miss it. Yeah, you miss animals. That's just part of the game. But more times than not, you're going to miss more animals by trying to scan really fast than not. And have you had similar experiences? Yeah, you know, and the one thing that I really want to stress is is the start close, especially bow hunting. You might not yeah. be able to see it with the naked eye, but you might look literally 300 yards in front of you, and there could be antlers sticking out of the trees or a bush or an ear or something. So start close. Yeah. And then have a system. Start on one ridge line and grid it off, and then just continue your grid. Don't go from ridge to ridge to ridge to open patch to ridge over there to the basin, back to the bottom, because <laughs> you well, will miss so much stuff. <laughs> well, for one, you forget where you hell where you're even looking. Yes. And you don't know what you've covered because you bounced around so much, and you got to start all over. And while I'm on this, um, don't do a side-to-side, do an up-and-down, because you know where the bottom of that drainage is, and you know where the top is. Go side-to-side, you miss a lot of stuff. And stuff's going by so fast, naturally your eyes are, are looking forward, and you shoot right past. When you're going up and down, your eyes are focused on one path and you're scanning as you go down. Then you move yep. over and you scan back up. Yep. Move over, scan down. Instead of side to side, it's like trying to look at something close going down the highway and all you see is flashes going by. <laughs> doesn't work. But if you look at that road and you look from far away down close, everything, you, you don't miss anything. That's kind of the best reference I can think that yep. everyone is experiencing. Yep. Are, are you, do you agree there? Or? Yeah, no, I do agree. I, I have found myself going side to side, like basically just like you said, find and, a ridge line and try to follow the ridge line sideways and then try to do the same thing back the other way. And all I do is get confused. So when I stop, I go back to the head of the ridge line and I just go all the way to the bottom of, of as far as I can see, and then over just a hair, right back up. Over just a hair, right back up. I don't get lost, I don't get confused, and I find more animals. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> so, Same thing goes with a spot and scope. Pick one particular section. There's so much you can see. Pick one section at a time. Pick it apart, up and down. And when you go up and down, you have the same references in view. Go over, okay, yep, there's that tree. There's that rock outcropping. There's that, you know, crick or whatever. When you're going side to side, it's like, oh, there's that tree. Oh, there's another tree, 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 tree. Then you come back. Is that the tree I was looking at? Or no, there's another rock. Was that? No, no, that's over here. When you're scanning side to side, there's so much. When you're going up and down, ridges, 
pretty much are always longer than they are tall. You take a shorter pass section and work it. You have references. You know, remember a rock when you, you get to the bottom and you come over, you know, in your view, go to where you can still see what you saw over here, you know, it moves from the left side of your glass view to the right side of your glass view. Overlap a little bit. You don't miss anything. Then you get a little bit higher. Okay, there's that same patch of trees. There's that same rock outcropping. Okay, move over. Okay, there's that sagebrush opening. Now we're back into the trees. The lower sagebrush opening. You know, Yep. you can manage it. Yeah, no, I, I agree with all that completely. That's That's some some great tips and tactics. Thank you for tuning in to the show. It means a lot to us. But seriously, though, I really appreciate your ear. And it would mean the world to me if you would rate our podcast. If you didn't like it, one star it. But if you did, a five is even better. Don't forget to comment, like, share, and hit that subscribe button. Thanks again for tuning into the show. Some other podcasts that you should definitely check out are Eastman Elevated with Bride and Barney and Hunt Harvest Health with Ryan and Hillary Lampers. And a special thanks to Maven Optics, Six Sight Gear, Dark Energy Tech, Shield Mountain Outdoors, The Outdoor Insiders, Iron Mind Hunting, Valkyrie Archery, and Gannett Ridge Sporting Equipment.